Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 542 of the Juicebox Podcast. It's often said, but worth repeating, people come on this podcast and share very intimate details about their life and their health, and we're all better for it. I just sometimes can't even imagine where they get the strength to do it. And with that in mind today, I bring you Susan, who has type 1 diabetes and cancer. Susan's story is rather phenomenal, full of rocky roads and a lot of hope. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you've heard a lot about the diabetes pro tip episodes from the Juice Box podcast and you're wondering where they are, they begin at episode 210 in your podcast player, or you can find an entire list of them at juiceboxpodcast.com or diabetesprotip.com. Okay, settle in. This is Susan. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise, which I'll tell you about in a little bit. But if you want to find out if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash, head now to omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out. The podcast is also sponsored by the good people at Touched by Type 1, and you can learn more about them on their Facebook page, their Instagram page, and at touchedbytype1.org. I'm Susan Jamilaro. I live in New Hampshire, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 34 years. So, Susan, I'm going to ask you to stop because it sounds yes. like someone's getting out a pan to make eggs with behind you. Is that happening? Yes. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Did you, We're better Did now. you beat somebody? Did you just go in the other uh, room? and? <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> That's right. Introduce okay, yourself. Okay, so tell me we'll your, try this tell, again. Yeah, tell me your name again. Okay, so uh, my name is Susan Jamilaro, and I live in New Hampshire. I've had type 1 diabetes for 34 years. I was first diagnosed as gestational diabetes with a blood sugar of 350. And after birth, my diabetes uh, seemed to disappear for three months and then came back full force. Was that um, can I ask, was that your first pregnancy or another? That, that was my first pregnancy. How old were you then? I was 27. 27. Wow. All right. Um, how many kids do you have total? I have two kids. So I, I was uh, fully diabetic for my second pregnancy. Fully diabetic. I like that term. Fully diabetic, <laughs> yes. It's kind of fun. Uh, so you just, you, you had gestational and then... They tell you, oh, it'll go away after the pregnancy's over. And for three months, you thought they were right. And then they weren't. They were not. <laughs> they were not. It How came did, back with a vengeance. And that's what I want to know about. What What did it look like when it came back? Well, it was funny. Um, I, I was feeling okay. But then I was out with my sister and I looked up to read a sign and it was completely blurry. Hmm. And I thought, oh, 
that's my that's diabetes. I'm I'm sure that's diabetes. And and sure enough, it was. It presented that way during pregnancy as well. It did. Yeah. Wow. That's a and with a three month old baby, was it heartbreaking? You know, um, I I guess I had never had that attitude, Scott. Mm-hmm. It's been more of these are the cards I'm dealt, so let's play. Yeah. Let's I, play. I like that. Okay. Uh so wow. Thirty four years ago. I don't even want to try to do the math. I think it'll make me sound silly, but give me a second anyway. Is that the eighties? That was nineteen eighty seven. Ooh, look at me. I was gonna say nineteen eighty seven. I should have went with my gut. And that that means I'm 62. Ah, there we go. Um, (laughs) You listen to this podcast? I do. Cool. So I I had started listening to the podcast. I had just come upon it and started listening to it. And and that's when I reached out to you to ask if you had ever met someone who had both diabetes and cancer. And um, because I had not. I admit people with type two diabetes, but, but no one with type one. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I was going to say you're, as I was thinking about you getting ready to get this going this morning, I thought, geez, I'm usually just so like, you're the only person I've ever felt like, I'm sorry that you had to come on the show because it means that you have this, you know, mixture of illnesses that, uh, that I don't hear about very often, honestly, not that it doesn't happen. And I'm sure we'll hear from more people that it does, but um, so let's dig into the diabetes a little bit and, um, okay. and then we'll, we'll kind of come full circle at some point. What okay. did, um, what did diabetes management look like in 1987? Well, I was on one injection a day and I, I think it was Lantus. That was it. So they just started you with a slow acting, and that's right about the time those things started becoming more popular too. So right, and so how? And you weren't doing meal insulin injections. I was doing insulin injections, yes, but just one a day. Right, but not for meals. You were just doing like a background insulin of basil. Just background. Yeah. How long just did background. that last until you had to start shooting for food? A co- only a couple of years. Only a couple of years, and then I started um, using regular. I think it was back then. No kidding. So they get, yeah. isn't it interesting how something can be such a big part of your current life, and with some perspective, standing back thirty some years, you're like, I don't really know. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it. it I think there's a. <laughs> I seriously think there's a lesson in that. Not so much. It's not funny that you don't know. It's not it's not even unexpected. I, I don't I mean, I go back 30 years of my life. You start asking me questions. I don't know the answers to anything either. It's more of an indictment of how maybe unnecessarily seriously we treat everything in the moment. You know what I mean? Everything seems so important in the moment. And then you look back on it and you go, I, I don't know. Like I took some insulin. I, did. I don't even remember. But back then it was probably a little more omnipresent in your life. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, And for me, part of it was that uh, I was determined that diabetes would be part of my life, but would not be my life. And so I, I certainly kept track of everything 
And initially it was high priority until I became accustomed to giving injections. And, and, and back then, of course, it was the three meals a day, two snacks a day, make sure you have your bedtime snack and make sure you eat right on time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was the regimen I followed. So is it possible then you were using regular and NPH and not Lantus? It may have been NPH. Yeah. It's possible. I, I think for timing wise and for the way you're describing using the insulin, I don't think it would have been Lantus first. I think right. I wonder when Lantus was you ready? We're gonna do the internet during a podcast. People love that. Um <laughs> Lantus originated. I don't know. When was Lantus invented? Ah. Lantus was developed by Sanofi in the year 2000. Okay, so I was on NPH then. <laughs> Isn't I think this is kind of fascinating. Um, that is fascinating. Yeah, I, I just think it's like when you said that, I thought, boy, that can't be right. Because my, my friend Mike was diagnosed around that time, and he was regular on NPH for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, a little on him, he didn't switch when faster-acting insulins came up. But... It's crazy as we're sitting here today, and I'm sure younger people don't understand what I'm saying. It is insane to me that the year 2000 was 21 years ago. I know. You know? Like, it's just, I know. it's mind boggling, really. <laughs> like, I saw it 2000 really and I thought, oh, that was recently. <laughs> and it's not. Yeah. Um, so said, true. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So you start regular and MPH likely, um, do that for, a, I guess, a while. Do you eventually switch to a basal and and mealtime insulin method. And was that still injections for you or did you ever go to a pump? It was still injections for me for a long time. And, and through my second pregnancy, um, I, which was five years after the first. So 1992, I think by then, um, let's see, what was I on then? I had to have been on multiple injections then, and I was in very tight control okay. during what, that pregnancy. What did that look and, like back then? What did they call tight during your second pregnancy? Um, they called tight being right around 80. Oh, and, okay. And they were actually not very happy with that and said it was too tight of a control and that, you know, there was a chance that my blood sugar would go low. I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel it. And um, so they asked me to boost up to like 110. Isn't it funny? The other night Arden went to bed, her blood sugar was 78. I was like, oh, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, what a great night. It changes. Yeah. I know everything changes. And it's interesting because someone said to me, why are you listening to that podcast? You've had diabetes for 34 years. You know, what is there to learn? And I just laughed. <laughs> There's so much still to learn. Yeah, plenty. So and it's much. always changing. And It is. Yeah. I, well, and I want to, whoever told you that, please tell them, stop it. I have a life over here too. I'm trying to accomplish <laughs> things. Don't, don't stop. You know how hard it is for me to find a person to get them to be a listener. And now I, you're telling me I got somebody behind the scenes. Like you don't need to listen to that. Like I know she's cut me I a know. break. Like you imagine if you were like sitting around watching CSI and someone came up behind you was like, don't watch this. The guy who made CSI would be like, Hey, that's how I send my kids to college. What are you doing? That's right. <laughs> so funny. Um, but no, I, I take your point. There's it's and I and I love your point, especially may I say at your age, because 
it this thing is always going to keep morphing. And I realize there'll be a moment when you mm-hmm. don't you don't go with it anymore. Right. And that'll be my expectation is that's age. Like at some point you just get to a point where you're like, you know, I don't care what the kids are reading their newspapers on. I get the New York Times on paper. Like, you know what I mean? Like at some point you'll right. you'll hit that spot. But you don't want that to happen when you're in your 40s or your 50s or your, you need to keep. Or your 60s. Yeah. Yeah. You need to keep moving with it because, I mean, look at what's next. Algorithm pumps, right? Like, I know. I know. And, and I'm imagining you've thought about what that would mean for you in your in, in even your 70s and beyond. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, well, I've had two pumps now. And um, right now I am on uh, the T-Slim with Control IQ. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I was on the Medtronic uh, pump. Okay. CGMs with both of them. Did you use the 670G or just were you, it wasn't automated with the Medtronic? Gosh. How long ago was it? That'll probably answer the question. Oh, that was probably 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's 670G is a much newer, even though it was the, it's kind of the first algorithm pump. It's, it, it hasn't been that long ago. So you've used one pump uh, along with the CG, with the CGM from Medtronic. Did, did you yes. use the one that people used to refer to as the harpoon? Yes, that was the one. <laughs> That's how you want your medical devices described to you, right? <laughs> oh, that one hurt. That really hurt. <laughs> So I had that, um, for quite some time and, and once we get into the cancer part of the story, I'll tell you what happened, what, when I, with that CGM. Wow. Okay. Was not happy. Was not happy. Yeah. No, you wouldn't be the only one that's ever said that to me. Um, so right. So now you're using control IQ right now. You're using an algorithm. I am. Wow. So with a Dexcom G6. Yes. Yeah. Is it, is it? what's the question here? You've been, I, I, I am not just keep in mind as we're talking, I'm not, I'm not commenting on your age. It's just, you have a different scope and makes it interesting for me to talk about. So yes, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you got in a rocket ship and went to another planet when you see that or? In a, oh, it's amazing. Right. It's really amazing. It has really changed um, my diabetes care and my ability to, um, engage more fully in exercising and hiking and just being out and about. It, it's it's been a real blessing for me. It's really been such an improvement in my life. It, it took, I have to say it has taken me a bit to um, to understand it, to learn about it, to get my settings um, in the correct place. And I have to say, I was listening to this podcast that I realized I was having a a problem with my basal and it wasn't my bolus. It wasn't my carb ratio. It was my basal. Oh. And um, so thank you for that. Oh, and, my pleasure. and, and since then my, my diabetes has been much better. My control has been much better. That's amazing. Well, so for earlier, is. I want you to say a little more about this because earlier you said you, you know, you made a decision early on that diabetes, you know, wasn't going to be your life, but right. in, in truth, it sounds like it was limiting some things for you. It was, you know, back in those early days, um, understanding my blood sugar and particularly if I was out hiking, it it was a real challenge for me. 
And, uh, you know, I would be like the, the pack mule because I would have so much food in my, my backpack, so much juice in my backpack. And, um, it, it was, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of food and juice with me everywhere I went (laughs) and it, it did control a part of my life. And, and even in the early days, I, I didn't tell many people that I had diabetes, yeah. you know, it, it felt like um, a stigma and it took me a while to be able to talk openly about it without people having pity for me. Do you think they pitied you or it just felt like pity to you? It felt like pity yeah. to me. It really did. I, 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 you try to put yourself in a perspective of now today where you still meet some if you meet someone who doesn't live around diabetes, they don't understand it in any meaningful way. And this used to come up a lot more on the podcast. I understand that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I always used to use as the example, like I don't have any perspective on cancer. If you started talking about it, I wouldn't know the first thing about it. I I would sound like an idiot if I tried to expound on it, you you know, like that kind of thing. But but going back 30 some years and saying diabetes and you're a person in your thirties then, right? Right. That, that probably yeah, that probably would have turned you into the lady on the street. We we cross the street when we see her coming because we don't want to catch diabetes from her. You would think that would be the vibe. Right. And it would be, you know, Susan can't eat that. So let's not put this in front of her or or Susan better not have that. So so let's not bring that to this party. And And can we even invite her out for dinner? Because we don't know what she has to eat. And of course, she has to eat at a specific time. And that doesn't seem like a good time for us. Oh, it was wow. complicated. Yeah, no kidding. It was complicated. And, and and I mean, how long does it take to get to dinner in the Studebaker? Probably pretty. I'm just kidding. That's the 50s. <laughs> I'm teasing you. Um, that that's um, that's really something that I've thought of thought about intellectually, but never heard anybody say out loud before. And mm-hmm. I, I I get what you're saying um, that that you might keep it to yourself, but different world now. You're saying it's completely yes. Different. Yeah. How much of management being different changes how you interact with people like because that's the only real thing it's changed besides your perspective and having it for a while but if you were still if 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 insulin had never progressed if technology didn't exist and you were still like regular in mph right now or or you know even you know shooting um you know lantus and and guessing at your meals and testing to hope where you fall in line you might still feel like that today do you think that's a fair statement? I think that's a fair statement. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. Because, you know, I'd still be the person who's got the bag of food and the the bottles of juice and the glucose tabs and, you know, let's not be bring the woman Susan with all the because it'll yeah. bomb us out. Yeah. Yeah, that really is the other side of it, isn't it? That people don't, it is. don't want to feel like they're around sick people. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Not everybody, but but it, you're going to bump into someone that has that feeling. It, it is, and it's not um, just that feeling. It's also the the sense of you know we don't want to be with her because she's just too complicated. You know, there's too much that we have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. You know, to be with her, and, and that's that really was what prevented me in the early days. Okay. Um, so I have two questions. Much. I have two mm-hmm. questions around that. What does hiding it look like? 
Like, how do you pull that off? How do you go to dinner without being the complicated, the complication for them? Oh, I end up with high blood sugar. That's what I was going to say. Because I'm, I'm not going to go to dinner with a low blood sugar. So you ignore your, your health to avoid a low. Right. Because they can see a low, but they can't see a high. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. Oh, that's I did anything to avoid a low. Yeah. Well, that just made me sad. Susan, mm-hmm. it's early in the morning. Don't kill me like this right away. <laughs> uh, I just put a, t- I just, I swear to you, uh, if sadness felt like something, it just ran from the top of my head to the yeah. tip of my toes. Yeah, those were hard days. They were hard days. But, you know, I, I didn't have all the knowledge either. Yeah, um, but the- and maybe the diabetes, you know, uh, community didn't have enough knowledge to share with me as well be- because I did not get much guidance. But I, again, I say, did I not get enough guidance or was that the knowledge that was there? You're going to eat three times a day. You're going to have your snacks and everything's going to stay on time. See, I think the, I think the latter, I mean, mm-hmm. I wasn't there for that. Um, yeah. a- aside from having a friend who had type one, but mm-hmm. we never talked about it. And, yeah. you know, I've said before, like, he was just the guy, like, when he was driving, you all, like, the whoever's in the front seat with him would just pay a little extra attention. It was almost like you were driving, too. Because, right. and you never knew why. Like, just sometimes Mike didn't make tight turns. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes Mike got surly. Uh, Mike, sometimes he got silly and, you know, he'd, or he'd get very insistent that he would need to eat. And I look back now and, um, gosh, I really wish that I knew than what I know now, because I wonder how much differently his life would have been. But I think it makes the point that you're saying, which is, and I've been digging into this in a couple of recent episodes. Um, that's all there was. And it right. was, and it was so much better than prior. I do think we forget that. I mean, insulin is, is even discovered in the, in the early twenties. I think it's 21. I think this is the hundred year anniversary in 2021. Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. so prior to 20 or nineteen twenty one, if I have the na- if I have the year right, prior to that, you, my daughter, my friend Mike, pretty much everyone listening to this, just mm-hmm. just gets diabetes. They look up at the mall one day, their vision's blurry, and then in a couple of weeks or months, they're gone. Right, right, and and so right. so being able to inject the thing twice a day and to live back then. What were they hoping for, 40 or 50 years? Do you remember what they told you? Touched by Type 1 is a great organization. That's just me telling you that from my heart. You can choose to believe me or not, or you can check it out. Touchedbytype1.org Where else do you hear an ad where people just say, we just want you to check us out? Like there's no, have you ever noticed about the touch by type one ads? There's no big sell. They're not asking you for anything. They just say, come over and check us out. It's uh, worth doing. Trust me. Touchedbytype1.org. They're also on Facebook and Instagram. Music swell. Now let's find out about that Omnipod promise, shall we? It's super simple. Okay. Super simple. Here it is. The Omnipod promise says this. You do not need to wait for the next big thing from Omnipod. 
Because with the Omnipod Promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by your insurance. Terms and conditions apply, but you can find out everything you need to know at Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Let me break that down again in smaller words. If there's something you're waiting for, like you think, oh, Omnipod's probably going to come out with something else one day. I'll wait for that because I don't want to get stuck with the thing I have now, which, by the way, you wouldn't be getting stuck with because it would be amazing. But that's not the point. That's how you're thinking. You don't need to think like that. And the Omnipod promise isn't a thing. It's not a piece of paper you hold. You don't have to get them to make you the promise. It just exists. So like if you went to Omnipod.com forward slash juice box right now, and you found out, let's say, that you were eligible for a free 30-day supply of the Omnipod Dash, then you would get that. You would use the Dash for 30 days for free. No, nothing to do except use the free insulin pump. And then let's say a number of weeks after that or months after that or whenever, something else happened. Omnipod was like, oh, look, we made a thing. And you're like, oh, I want the thing. I want the new thing, but I just got the Dash. You can have the new thing. Omnipod promise. Am I being clear? I feel like I am. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Don't wait. Do it now. There are links in the show notes to all of the advertisers and links at juiceboxpodcast.com. In case you can't remember, omnipod.com forward slash juice box or touchedbytype1.org. What were they hoping for? 40 or 50 years? Do you remember what they told you? Oh, they told me back then they wanted me to last 25 years. They said that was the that was the golden number. And a lot of people were not making it 25 years. So for you, that would have been a, a around, just around 60 years old. Am I right? right. You were 34 yeah. at the time? Um, let's see. No, I've had her for... No, I've had it for 34 years. I've had it for 34 years. So what would 25 have been? 27 and 25, 52. Oh, Susan, someone stood in a doctor's office when you were a young mother in your mid-20s and told you, if you're lucky, you'll live to 50. Yes. Holy shit. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I I kept aiming for that 25 years, 25 years, because the... um, the diabetes organization that where I received my care, they kept pushing for that 25 and then you would get this medal and there'd be a ceremony. And so when I got to 25 years, I said, Hey, I've made it 25 years. You know, we should have a ceremony. You know, I want to apply for, for my medal. And the doctor said, 25 years is no big deal anymore. You're like, wow. well, I wish someone would have come to me and updated me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. And and I I felt a little cheated because I wanted to say, you know what? 25 years ago, when I was first diagnosed, it was a big deal. And I made it through. Yeah. Okay. I made it through all those 25 years in good health. Well, I don't have a medal to give you, but... <laughs> I, I, I give you, I'll give you a slap on the asses and say, way to go. <laughs> That's really something else, you know, virtually, of course. I think if yes. I did it in person, we'd have a whole problem. But um, can you imagine if I was a diabetes coach and I went that way? I was like, hey, good job. Um, but but good job. I mean, honestly, yeah. what are some of the things that you did over those 25 years to make it? Well, I really tried to learn as much as I could. 
about uh, diabetes. After, you know, when I was first diagnosed, I was pregnant and I was just determined to do what I could for the health of my baby um, through both pregnancies. And then, you know, I had this, I'm sick to death of having diabetes. I'm going to do what I want. Mm -hmm. And that lasted for about a week. And, um, and then I pulled myself together, just tried to stay on that regimented life as long as I could. And I eventually, I'm trying to think whether I went to the pump first or whether I went to the pen first. I think I went to the pen first. I took a lot of classes too, um, to understand um, about diabetes because I knew the knowledge was changing. I went to a couple of diabetes fairs and talk with different manufacturers. And um, so just tried to gather as much as I could and stay active, really stay active. I I love it how people who have had diabetes for longer say the pump, like it's a a mystical thing that exists off in the distance. I got the pump. The pump, (laughs) yes. (laughs) It's very very common phrasing, but I'm always, I'm always, um, I'm interested by it, like that. That it seemed like this this sort of mystical thing that was out in the future, and if you were lucky, you could ascend to it and maybe put your yes. hands on the pump. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I remember going to a couple of um, meetings about uh, about the pump mm-hmm. and learning so much from other people who were there who were already either wearing a, a pump or. Or, and we're getting their CGM or we're there to cheerlead us. And, you know, back then, the trick was to cut a hole in the pocket, in the pockets of your pants so that you could thread your, your pump through your pants. The tubing. And yeah. you, they, yeah, the tubing through the pants because there was, um, I don't remember there being holsters. I'm sure there were, but they may have been gigantic things. And for me, that was the biggest trick. Uh, and I started cutting holes in, in all of my pants and my shorts and my skirts and so that I could just thread it right through. Yeah. So you could have the magic of the pump. Um, right. So the, the things that you did to make it, you said, you know, you tried to learn about diabetes Um but earlier you said too that there might not have been a lot of information. I think we've picked through the idea that maybe mm-hmm. the information just didn't exist, which is why it wasn't there. It was just a right. lot of people who had been told, "Hey, if you're lucky, you're going to live 25 more years since your diagnosis." So, right, you know, and and I want people to hear too that Arden was diagnosed in 2006, mm-hmm. and it wasn't she's going to live a certain amount of time. The message then was you shouldn't see any significant long-term problems from diabetes for at least 30 years. And I remember thinking, but she's two. Right. You mean when she's 32, she's going to have significant problems? And that was 2006, 16, that's only 15. Oh, why am I doing the math? She's going to have diabetes 15 years this summer. So Mm -hmm. that was 15 years ago. They were still talking about like, oh, you've got 30 good years before your eyes explode. You, you know what I mean? Like, and, yes. and it was really the vibe they were giving you. They never used the words, right? They never said the words, but they they would never say, like, have vision problems or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They'd just be like, check your feet. 
You know, it was a lot of check your feet, you know, a um, lot of check your feet. And, yes. And, and, but that's even just 15 years ago. And yeah. so what a great leap is that? I, I know this sounds like it's not a great leap, but it's a great leap. If you, if you, if you step back far enough and take a macro enough view, mm-hmm. Susan was told you're going to die in 25 years. Right. My daughter was just told, Hey, we're just going to probably take a couple of your toes in 30 years. Like it's a, it's a, yeah. it's a big leap. And now today, no one would say any of that to you when you were diagnosed. Right. Right. And I tell you, when I first started going um, for treatment and my appointments, I would walk into um, the clinic The the where I have treatment is really a well-known uh, diabetes center. Mm-hmm. And I'd go in and there'd be amputees there. And I thought, oh, my God, if I don't get this under control, that's me. Yeah. There are amputees. There are people who are blind. I thought, you know, that that can't be my future. No. Did you happen to hear Sophia, who lives in Russia, recently on the show? She's 14. Oh, I started listening to that. Okay. I haven't finished it. At some point, she says, because I said to her, like, how did you figure out all this on your own? Like, you're 14, you know? And she said that all she could think about when somebody told her she had diabetes was that she was going to lose a, a limb. That's, yeah. that's all she could think about. And, yes. and and that made her dive into the internet to figure out how to manage her diabetes. You didn't have the internet to dive into back then. So right. you were limited. It really is. You know, I was I, I just recorded the 500th episode of the podcast, which is just really me talking for like a half an hour about what the podcast has been so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've, I came to realize while I was, while I was talking, basically talking to myself, um, but I just imagine all of you, which makes it not seem weird while I'm doing it. Uh, but the years and years ago, when I first started writing a blog, I used to pitch to companies all the time that there should be a, like a depot, a hub, mm-hmm. and you should go out and get all the best diabetes bloggers and collect their writings in one place because you're you're making it too difficult for people to find their voices is how I said it. No one ever listened to me, okay? Like Susan, mm. you know, I pitch stuff in meetings and they're like, ah, and I'm like, oh, you're not hearing it. All right, never mind. Um, but I realized while I was saying it the other night recording that, that that's what I did with the podcast, except it's not bloggers, it's people with diabetes. Right. And I'm bringing them all together in one place so that somebody can easily find their stories. Um, I didn't even yeah. realize that. I know that sounds weird. You'd think that might be something I realized, but, um, but it, it's ease of getting to the information. That's always the most important part. You, people, I agree. Right. Yeah. People can yeah. talk all they want about like, oh, we have a program to tell you about this or that. It's all bull. It doesn't matter if some company launches a program about the importance of some aspect of diabetes. It doesn't matter because they're not going to actually reach anybody with it. Like it, you can't find it. it. You don't have time to find it. You need to have everything in a place. So that's, I think, what you lacked back then. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when I think about your podcast, you you provide us with so much information, but, and, and then on the your Facebook page as well, um, The Bold with Insulin, it is, we're, we're hearing from real people who have real lives and real experiences with diabetes. Yep. So, you know, 
we feel like we're not an anomaly. Someone else is is running high blood sugars for unknown reasons, or someone else ha- doesn't have their basal set correctly. And you know, you you don't feel alone when when you're connected with other people well, through I'm, the podcast or Facebook. I appreciate that. And I'll tell you the other thing. I I said this again in the in the five. I don't love that I'm on Facebook. Like I'm not a person who's like Facebook's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just it does this exact thing so well. It allows it, does. Pe- it allows people to have a private place to talk about things. And the the what I what I like about it people might people from the outside might not see it the way I see it, right? I see it as a tool for all of you to be able to talk mm-hmm. to each other. Sometimes you can be there and have this feeling. You see it on Facebook all the time like Somebody just asked that question. We're search the pot, search the thing. Like, don't be lazy. I'm like, no, no, that's wrong. You want to encourage people to keep saying, even if it's the same thing over and over again. What what you don't realize is, even if you saw somebody say this thing twice or three times, and it starts feeling repetitive to you, there are thousands of people who don't comment who are seeing it for the first time, and so diabetes really isn't an unending number of problems to talk about. I mean, there's a lot of variables, right? But there is an end to them at some point. And so you need them to keep being churned around. Like you have to churn it up. Like you have to go down to the bottom and pull it up and bring it back to the top again because someone new is there to see it again and again. And someone else has ascended to a a spot where they understand it well enough to answer you. So you want to encourage those conversations. Like, so anybody who says, you know, search the forum, don't ask questions that have been asked already, you are missing the exact reason why it's so valuable. That's right. Yeah, It needs to keep being said and it needs to keep happening because you might have diabetes now and you might have gotten over the shock or gotten over this or learned how to pre-bullish or whatever you figured out how to do and good for you. But today is somebody else's first day of having it. Today is somebody else's first day of having the courage to try to find out more about it to speak up. It's somebody's first day for so many different steps along the journey and you have to let it keep happening. I'm, I'm very happy to be the person uh, or a person who will, um, has a space where that happens. And uh, I think, it's and we amazing. all appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. Oh, Susan, stop. <laughs> uh, that that's it to me. It's just, it, you know, it's me saying like, Oh, see, I told you, like, I want to like, there is a small part of me that wants to go back in time to all those meetings and go, uh, I told you people to do this, <laughs> but all right, you didn't do it. I did it instead. Uh, but I had to wait for the technology to allow me to do it, right? Because I wrote right. a, I wrote a blog and the blog was great, but it still doesn't work the way the podcast works. The podcast right. works better. And so, you know, to be honest, it's a full circle idea of what you talked about, about learning about diabetes. I had to wait for the technology to share diabetes the right way. Right. I think right. this is a sweet spot too. I mean, honestly, no judgment. Again, you're a woman in your sixties listening to a mm-hmm. podcast that probably shocked you the first time you did that. I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I really didn't think I would find, um, well, you know, what really shocked me is a few minutes ago when you said, Oh, when you were diagnosed, uh, 34 years ago, there was no internet thinking, you're right. There was no internet. There was no internet. Right. So there was no way to learn. Um, 
the information that we we have today. There there was no Facebook for us to connect and podcasts. You're right. There it didn't exist. So so times certainly have changed for me. And listening to a diabetes podcast was not something I would think I would be doing. Ever imagine? I, I didn't think there'd be one out there. Yeah. Who would even know what a podcast was? You know right. why they call them podcasts? I do not. Because the first time they were available to people was through the um, the Apple, uh, what was it called? iPod. That's amazing. I couldn't think of the eye. It was an eye. Oh my so gosh. The first time you were available, uh, podcasts were available. It was audio that people would record from their homes that was available through an iPod. And they became podcasts because you were casting your voice over the iPod. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah, that's great. And now I think iPods don't even exist. Or maybe they do. But I don't even know. because I don't even know. But in 2007, when I launched my blog. Mm-hmm. I'd learned later that I think it was maybe the fourth diabetes blog in the world. Like, so, really? so you hear blog now and you think like, oh, blog. Yeah, everyone has a blog. My dog has a blog. You know what I mean? But right. Um, and there are people whose cats have Instagram. So I'm just saying <laughs> like it. Uh, but back then, that was not a real thing. No, you I know. know. I, I, my link to my my link to my blog was http colon forward slash forward slash www dot i want to say it was max something dot i forget even i used to use this program uh, iweb it was iweb.com forward slash and then i swear to you maybe 60 characters and letters jumbled up afterwards oh my gosh (laughs) times have changed yes yeah it was um that's how long ago it was and yes. so I get excited thinking about, like, I don't know what comes next, right? Like, I don't know what's mm-hmm. better than podcasting, right? If blogging was better than you, you know, at the <laughs> at the library and and podcasting is better than blogging. Like, I don't know what comes next or if, mm-hmm. or if this maybe is just kind of the pinnacle of it, being able to talk right into people's ears. Um, but I'm committed to keeping up with it because – there's more to learn that we don't even understand exists yet. That's right. You know, that's right. I can't wait to find out what that is. I can't, I, I, um, I, I described the podcast, uh, in that 500th episode <clears throat> as, uh, it, it's basically a time capsule I'm leaving behind for my daughter that other people get to benefit from, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I just hope one day that she listens through it as an adult and, and, uh, can, can, accomplish what you did and even maybe what I did and what people listening have done without having to go through all of the, the harshness that I had to go through to figure it out. Right. You know, so, right. All right, Susan. So in this term, tumultuous story, where the hell do you get cancer in this timeline? (laughs) Well, um, it was, uh, it, it was quite a shocker to me, I have to say. And, and, and this is when uh, uh, I was diagnosed thanks to my uh, diabetes ophthalmologist, hmm. which is kind of strange. I had been um, I had been writing uh, a grant, my first large-ish kind of large grant, large for me. And once I was 
to start a new project. Once I was finished with it, I was exhausted. I was so tired. And, um, and then the eyes again, my eyes were really sensitive to light um, to the point where I would have my sunglasses on my nightstand and put them up, put them on when I got out of bed until my eyes adjusted. So I said, well, this, I got to see my ophthalmologist. And I walked into her office and she said, there's nothing wrong with your eyes. You know, she did all the testing. She said, there's nothing wrong with your eyes, but you look awful. And I said, uh, it's a makeup free day. (laughs) And she said, it's not that kind of awful. You need to be seen by your doctor right away. Wow. Okay. So the next day I went to see my doctor and walked in and the nurse said, you look awful. (laughs) Like I've heard. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Everyone's saying it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then the doctor said the same thing. And he's like, what's up? I said, I'm tired. I'm, I'm a little bit sluggish on the uh, treadmill, just, you know, just tired. Mm-hmm. And so he sent me off for blood work. And at the end of the day, he called and said, um, your red blood cells are below well below normal, your white blood cells are well below normal, and uh, the emergency room is waiting. You need an immediate transfusion. Hmm. It's like, okay, all right. So off to the emergency room, my husband and I went, and my sister joined us. And um, four days later, I was out of the hospital after having five transfusions and a bone marrow biopsy. The following week, I was diagnosed with um, multiple myeloma, which is, as of now, an uncurable blood cancer. When was, so, when was this? How, um, how long ago was this? 10 years ago. Okay. 10 years ago. And I, I, I don't know what I would have done if it hadn't been for going to see my diabetes ophthalmologist. I, I don't know what would have happened. Could your have blood values have gotten so far off that it impacted you? Could it have killed you at that point? Like, or do you think you would have just passed out and somebody would have shuffled you off to the hospital? Yeah, I think that's what would have happened. Yeah. The doctor had said to me, I, I, I don't know how you're at the gym. I don't know how you're on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, all of your blood cells are so low. Um, so I, uh, I got the diagnosis, and at that time, um, they gave me three to five years to live. Wow. And I took, the, I took my diabetes playbook out and said, well, you know, I have diabetes. That's part of my life. Now I have cancer. That's part of my life, and uh, neither of them will be my life. I'm just going to move forward. And if only it were that simple. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you could say it. It's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut out some carbs and I'm going to drop 10 pounds. And then like a week later, you're like, "Uh, I'm eating potato chips. I don't know what just happened. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I mean, saying it's one thing, right? And then, but you're you're saying something that you feel like you don't have real control over. Is that right? Well, um, I guess your attitude. uh, Well, of course. uh, Yeah. I mean, I I have a, a, 
very positive attitude. I mean, they gave me three to five years and here it is 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, but um, my first rude awakening was when they started me on treatment, which was the following week. And part of the treatment was dexamethasone, mm. that lovely steroid that puts your blood sugars through the roof. Oh, oh. oh yeah. So, yeah. So now you're fighting. Does it become difficult to focus on everything you have to focus on? Again, I I really think that's where my my um, all my years with diabetes really helped me. It's like Mm -hmm. this is your life. You get into a routine. You know what you need to do, and you're just going to move forward with it. Okay. Um, So, but it was always little hurdles that I had to to um, overcome. So the dexamethasone um, was needed, and um, so we had to adjust my my insulin at that point. And, and I, was I on a pump then? I was on a pump. I was on a pump then. How much and, more, how much more did you have to go to? Like what was your percentage increase? Oh, f- like 50%. Wow. Yeah. That's almost like being pregnant at that. Right. Again. Yeah. The Dex was only, once a week for three weeks and then off for a week. So it was just a day or two where I really had to adjust my insulin Mm -hmm. and then it would settle back down. What was that treatment like? Was it hard on you physically besides? Actually it it was not. And Oh, and I have to tell you. So as I said, I had been really tired because I had written this grant So the morning I was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, the afternoon I got the award letter for the grant, which I accepted. Just a little anticlimactic, I would imagine. You're like, oh, great. Good news. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, but but Susan, you don't do that thing, do you? You're, You're from a different generation. Like, you don't look at the grant coming in and go, well, if it wasn't for my bad health news, I'd be able to enjoy this. Like you don't feel that way about things, right? Uh, no, I don't. Yeah. No. For me, it was kind of the yin and yang that day. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I got this terrible diagnosis in the morning, but then I had this great news in the afternoon. And I, I wonder how I would have responded if I got the great news in the morning and the bad news in the afternoon. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you would have been a little higher coming into the other thing. But also, look, I don't. I, I don't have any firsthand knowledge of, of cancer, but mm-hmm. I, I have had my um, <clears throat> my iron be so low that a doctor said to me, I don't understand how you're standing. Right. You know, yeah. so I, I do get that idea of, I think it's fascinating how your body can just like almost will itself to keep going. Right. You don't, and you don't really realize it's happening. You have this decline in function mm-hmm. and- the people around you can see it, but you can't right. because your body right. is just like, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive, right. keep going, which, which it should be something that people who, who have higher blood sugars and say, oh, I feel fine. That's what you mm-hmm. need. That's one of the things you need to realize is that whether you feel fine or not, you're not fine. That's your body just going, stay alive, stay alive, stay alive. Like your body, when yeah. your blood sugar is 250 all the time, your yeah. body is basically saying to itself, Let's just try to keep going until hopefully this gets fixed or we fall over one or the other. 
And it's right. it's fascinating how 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 the human body can do that. Um, it is. At no point did you think, wow, they are really trying to get me off this planet. Like the one guy told me 25 years. Now this one's telling me three to five. Like people are like, yeah. did that ever occur to you? Um, you know, I, I really am a very positive and optimistic person. And, and You're not high, Susan, are you? You're not like, <laughs> no, no, no. no? Okay, all right. <laughs> and, and when I was diagnosed, you know, he's the doctor said to me, the oncologist said, well, why don't you come and think about it for a couple of weeks? I'm like, what do I have to think about? You know, I'll start treatment this week. Right. You know, I have nothing to think about. Yeah. I want to live and I, I've got a life ahead of me. And so it was, uh, it was quite a journey. You know, I had a couple of infections, uh, one from my CGM, you know, my white blood cells were low mm-hmm. and, and I, thought I had cleaned my, my, uh, site very well, put the CGM in, ended up with a massive infection and in the hospital for eight days and a small surgery because the infection was so bad. You know, I didn't anticipate that. And, um, but your body just wasn't up for fighting even small. Like, so the way you put your CGM on a million times that, yeah, I, I see. Okay. No, no, my white blood count was low enough that even when I went in the hospital, uh, I would have um, an isolated room, mm-hmm. isolated room, because the the fear of infection was was great. How did you handle COVID? Well, you know, it it was the isolation was hard, but between having diabetes for so long and having cancer. For then at nine years, you know, I I had already learned that I'm never going to touch a doorknob in winter to begin with. <laughs> you know, I'd always use my sweater, like, you know, the, the sleeve of my sweater or, you know, so I had some of those habits already in place mm-hmm. because I knew, you know, with having two, you know, serious illnesses, I really had to manage my infection control. And I always would come right in the house and wash my hands first thing. And um, so, well, so, cancer, so some of those pro- cancer teaches you how to open a doorknob with your butt cheeks, I guess, basically. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say I did have a moment. Um, I, ha- I had about a week where I was um, pretty frightened by COVID because I thought, you know, you look around, people are, are catching COVID, people are dying, they're over 60, they have two, they have one or two illnesses. And I thought, if I catch it, then I may die. I'm not going to die because I have diabetes and I'm not going to die because I have cancer. But if I catch COVID, I might die. Yeah. And so, so that was quite sobering. It took me about a week to pull myself out of that. And saying, you know, you know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know what you need to do. Keep your blood sugar in good control. Keep away from germs and don't lick railings. Yeah, don't lick railings, <laughs> right? And so, uh, I, before we move off of that, I just wanted: Did you get vaccinated? I did. You did. Okay. Um, I, did. I I did too. Honestly, yeah. I I I didn't think that I was in anywhere near the situation you were in. I was still like. I'm doing it. Also, my wife worked on one of the vaccines for, you know, a year and a half in my dining room. So it almost felt like like it would have been rude not to take it. (laughs) Right. 
<laughs> She'd been sleeping on our dining room table, I felt like. You know, it would be like if it took me a year and a half to make dinner and everybody was like, nah, I'm okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, right. Yeah. But anyway, um, well, I'm glad. Are you moving around more freely now with the vaccine? Like feeling better about that? I am. Yeah. I am. I feel better about that. Occasionally, if I'm going to be in a big crowd, I'll still put a mask on. Um, and I think some of the 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 habits that I've always had will continue, mm-hmm. like washing a, you know, wiping down a uh, shopping cart before I go in a store. I was doing that pre-COVID, um, and I, I'll continue doing that. I'll yeah. just continue it. I, I have to say that I know you hear people say it all the time, but I really feel it. I have not been sick in, I think, maybe one time in a year and a half. Like, yeah. and I thought, maybe I'll, maybe I will do the same thing. Like if I'm going to the home Depot in the middle of flu season, maybe I'll just be like, huh, pop a little mask on and jump in real quick, you know? Right. Um, I mean, other cultures do it without hesitation. Right. Right. You know, uh, if you're sick, you don't go outside without a mask on in uh, Japan or China. You just, that, that's, it would be considered to be uh, like unthinkable there. So um, yeah, Yeah. no, I mean, something good's got to come of this. So understanding of other stuff. Well, Mm -hmm. well, so so you've been living with, you've been living with the diabetes that was supposed to kill you, fourteen years ago for thirty four right. years. You've um, you you've now been living with cancer for ten years that they told you three to five. Right. And I don't want to ask you some trite like, does every day feel like a gift thing? But I do want to know what it's like to wake up every day when you've been told these things. You know, I I wake up every day saying today's going to be a good day. I, I, I honestly do. I, I read this book called tiny habits and that's one of the first habits um, they try to teach is to wake up every day saying today's going to be a good day. Yeah. And it is, I'm an you know, eternally optimistic person. Like I, yes. I'm, I'm very hopeful, um, mm-hmm. but I'm also, I'm also not um, Pollyanna. So I see what's wrong with the world and I know what's, yeah. and I know where the problems are and I know where the fights are and the struggles are, but mm-hmm. I, I, I swear to you, I wake up every day like Groundhog Day. I'm just like, <laughs> let's go. You know what I mean? For people yeah. who've seen that by now, has anyone not seen, if you've not seen the movie Groundhog Day, please, when this episode is over, go watch Groundhog Day. But, um, yes. but, but I wake up every day like, okay, here we go. And if something bad happens, then I get in front of it. And if it doesn't, right. then I just do the things I was meant to do that day or the things that I would like to do or whatever. We had a, um, we had like tile replaced in a shower and mm-hmm. the, the person we had do it really botched it. And I had my phone in my hand to call them and be like, Hey, get back here and fix this. And I was like, nah, eh, I'll do it. Yeah. And I just got down on the floor and I fixed it and it ate up about the next 18 hours of my life. Mm-hmm. And then I just went back to doing the other stuff I was supposed to do. Right. <laughs> like I just I was like, all right, well now the floor in the shower needs to be fixed, and yeah. and um, and I just think of, I that's how I think of life. Like everything's not going to be perfect. When it's not perfect, right. you fix it and move forward. And it sounds like you do the same thing, except with bigger. I mean, <laughs> you know, obviously right. I'd rather fix the shower floor than get bone cancer. But I'm just saying, like yeah. you, you have the same attitude about it. What did you? What did you do for a living? You talked about writing a grant. Are you still working or what did you? I am still working. Um, I'm an education consultant here in New Hampshire. Okay. What kind of, um, 
college did you have for that? I have um, a master's degree from Cornell. Wow. See, you're super smart, Susan. <laughs> uh, I, I still have a lot to learn. But <laughs> oh, no, we all have a lot to learn, but you don't get into Cornell yeah. by mistake. No, no. true, yeah. true. I, true. I sent the application to the wrong place, and I have a master's. You've never heard anybody tell that story before. Um, <laughs> so how much of – I'm trying to figure out where your perspective comes from. So was it how you were raised? Was it – like where do you get that kind of thoughtful perspective from? Did something happen in your past? Like I know for me, I grew up really broke, and then my dad left. And, mm-hmm. and and bad things that usually fell people keep happening. And I find that that falls under the category of, you know, you know, I don't know, how do you how do you harden steel like you beat on it or something like that? Like I find mm-hmm. that like that falls into there. Did something like that happen to you in the past? I I don't think so. Um I think it really comes um partly from maybe partly from prayer. But I think more from mindfulness and meditation mm-hmm. and trying to, to take in the knowledge that, you know, today is here, you know, and whatever, there's this great poem that says, you know, whatever's put on your doorstep, you know, whether it's happy feelings or bad feelings, accept it as a guest, You know, it's come to, if it's something bad, it's come to clear you out for something good that's going to, to follow. And so that's, and I have that posted in my, in my home and in my office. It's just my perspective. It's life is every minute is passes so quickly and you just take it head on. And so there's an ebb and a flow to life and you expect both. There is an ebb and flow of life. It's right. not always going to be great. And, and even though, you know, I've talked about diabetes and cancer, it doesn't mean that I go into um, my doctor's office for my labs feeling like nothing awful is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I do get nervous. I do get nervous when I go in for my exams because, um, and for my labs, you know, I've, I've had both of these illnesses for so long. I, I'm lucky. I, I have no neuropathy at all. And I, I really, to be honest, I have very few side effects from either the diabetes or the cancer. And I know I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. But, you know, the shoe can fall. The other shoe can fall. I, I just choose not to um, think about that every minute of every day. Yeah, good for you. It feels to me like you're you're on the beach at the ocean and you want to look at the surf and mm-hmm. you you walk down to the water and enjoy it, but you know it's going to come crashing in and you don't stand there defiantly. You back up and you go, okay, let me let me ride this out right the way this is going to go next. And then That's when right. it goes back out to sea, I'll walk back down to the edge again and stare out there for a while longer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think it's important that we accept whatever feelings we come our way, whether they're happy feelings or, or sad feelings or grieving feelings, we accept them, we acknowledge them, and then, you know, let them ride, ride out as long as they need to, and then let go and move on to the next day. 
So when you listen to me say, get your basal right, have a strong mm-hmm. foundation, understand how insulin works pre-bolus, understand how food impacts, and then mm-hmm. stay flexible. That's why all that made a lot of sense to you when you heard it. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, and it, you know, that basal, the couple of episodes on basal really changed how I manage my diabetes now. Oh, I'm glad. You know, it really changed it. And yeah, you have to be flexible. And yeah, everything that that I hear on the podcast from your from you, from your guests, from Jenny, just brings true to me. Jenny's gonna love to listen to this episode. Jenny, are you listening? Hi. She does love so. <laughs> Hi Jenny. Yeah, yeah. Um she's gonna be thrilled to hear that. Uh and I am as well. Yeah, I have to tell you, I, I it was Father's Day recently, and I um, I wrote this little post on my private Facebook page about um, what I thought being like a good dad was, and mm-hmm. I looked back at it, and I thought, I just told people, I just basically said, get your basal right, pre-polis, understand, because <laughs> what I said was, like, lay a strong foundation, mm-hmm. um, you know, try to stay ahead of problems. Um, yeah. I said, you know... Uh, you know, like that kind of stuff. And when I read it back to myself, I thought I just said basal prebolus glycemic index stay flexible. Mm-hmm. I just said it about, and I was like, wow. And I dug through it. And I was like, that's just how I see life. Like the yeah. way I talk about diabetes is just the way I see everything. Yeah. It just apply, and and maybe there are like simple truths about um uh psychologically calm existences. I don't know if that's if that there's maybe a better word in there for that, but um, there are there are simple things that you can do that make a lot of things better and easier and 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 more fulfilling. You just have to you have to come at them from the right perspective, I guess. I agree, yeah. and I I think part of it, you know, some people have said to me, "Well, you know, haven't you ever said why me? Why me?" I'm like, no. I've never once said that with either um, diabetes or cancer because, you know, it's just happened. These are the cards I have been dealt. I'm going to play the cards and, and, and when it comes, you know, when it comes right down to it, I I have a choice, you know, I can choose to live and, and do the best I can with both illnesses or I can stay at home and, and worry and, you know, choose not to live. Yeah. No, you that, know, we that all have makes, a choice. That makes a lot of sense to me. I don't, you know, I, it, it, not that I'm uh, equating a person with a bug, but I don't think, you know, when a shoe comes down on an ant, I don't think the last thing it thinks is why me. I think it just lives its life and it, and some of yeah. them get stepped on and some of them don't. And the, no one, I mean, listen, you said prayer earlier and, and I've been, candid throughout the podcast that mm-hmm. I, I don't have any religious holdings at all. Mm-hmm. And yet yep. the way you see the world and the way I see the world are exactly the same. Right. You I know? think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, um, I just think that there's randomness and the randomness might smack you in the face. And if it does, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a choice, right? You, you lay there and die or get up and try to keep going. Right. You know? Right. There's no other option, in my opinion, especially for me, because I don't really believe that anything happens after my brain shuts off. So I need to stay yeah. here as long as I can. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I need to see uh, 
<laughs> I need to watch the bad TV shows that I I need to see more of that. <laughs> I, but no, but it, truly what I need to see is um, <clears throat> I want to watch my children, like have a life right. as far as I can. I want to uh, talk to my wife one more time. Like I want to, mm-hmm. you know, those are the things that I'm here to do. I want to see things. I want to go kind of experience different places that I haven't seen before. But moreover, like continue to talk to people mm-hmm. and hear about, like, I mean, all the stuff you said today is, I, I would have no way of knowing any of this without this podcast. Like mm-hmm. you, you all have no idea, like what a, um, see, I'm going to say blessing. Cause that's the only word that fits here. Like what a, mm-hmm. what a blessing it is for me to host the podcast and to get to have all these conversations. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's expanded who I am in a, in a really meaningful way. Um, and uh, I can't thank everybody enough. Honestly, it's it's really wonderful that that, mm. and we have to share with people so that other people listening know. Susan sends an email and basically says, "I'd love it if you'd get somebody on that has type one diabetes and cancer." And I was like, well, "You could be that person." <laughs> <laughs> and and because that I'm I'm right, right? You weren't looking to be on the show. You were looking to for me to find somebody who had a similar story. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still feel nervous? You said at the beginning you did. No. It's been, yeah, yeah. It's been a, a wonderful conversation. Excellent. Really a wonderful conversation. I'm very glad. I don't want to sound uh, conceited, but I used to have these um, phone calls with people who had diabetes. And it's one of the ways that the podcast started. I was like, wow, people would love to hear this phone call. That's right. what I thought when it was over. And mm-hmm. uh, so I was like, maybe I could record them. And here mm. you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> is there anything that we should have talked about that we didn't? I think the only thing I'd like to add is what I have have learned from um, having both of these illnesses is that you need to be your own best advocate. You really need to be your own best advocate. You know your body better than anyone else. Um, you know, I had a major procedure um, with with this cancer. And I had been working to keep my, um, uh, with my pump, keeping myself really under very good control before going in for, for this. And when I got to the hospital, they said, well, you know, we're, we're going to take your pump off and uh, we'll take over your care. And I, I really fought them on that. And, but they did indeed take my pump away. And um, they, in 24 hours time, no one had come and checked my blood sugar. And I thought, you don't even know what doses I take. You don't know when I should get them. You haven't checked my blood sugar. And, and I, I got my pump back. I said, I'll take control of, of my, um, of my insulin, my blood sugar, and, and this part of my health care. And I had to sign all kinds of papers for it. And, and no one ever came back and checked to see how I was doing. Once, once you signed the diabetes. papers, they were out of it. They were out of it. And they they only, were out of it. And, and Susan, they only took your pump so you wouldn't get low. They didn't, they're, they're not, they weren't going to manage your blood sugar. They just were going to, they just didn't want you to get low. That's right. Yeah, well, that's I was like. 300. Mm-hmm. Well, they, I thought, they fixed that. You weren't low. 
Jeez. I wasn't low. Yeah. That's for sure. It's so funny. it was like, it was like you met yourself from back in when you were first diagnosed. Like I, right. I don't want to pass out. I'd rather be high than low. I don't want anybody to see in their case. They were like, this is not a problem we want to create. And I am always fascinated by the fact that a, a hospital will put you into a procedure where you're going to need your, um, your white blood cells and you're going to need your body to fight infection and to help mm-hmm. healing. And then they drive up your blood sugar so that that's not possible. Right. Fascinating. Right. So, so, you know, I, I always tell, tell people just please be your best advocate. No one knows you better than you. No one knows your body better than you. And I, you I know, would add to that. No one cares about you more than you too. I would agree. Yeah. Even though they're medical professionals and I'm not saying they don't care, they're mm-hmm. still, they're in a business. Right. You know, they're, they they got to go from you to the next person to the next person. They're not your personal physician. This is not a movie. This is not your personal physician. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's a person right. who's, they're a mechanic and they're running from car to car. That's right. You know, and they don't have, it's, it's not again that they don't care, but they don't have the time right. to really get into your understanding what your life is like and, and what your blood sugars are like, mm-hmm. um, except tweak it here, tweak it there. And I'll see you in six months. Well, that's amazing. I really appreciate you doing this. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. I was so nervous about it, but I, I really, this has been really a wonderful experience. Thank you so much, Scott. I right back at you. I, I completely agree. And, and your computer didn't crash the whole time. That's right. <laughs> your computer that crashed three times this morning, but never once while we were talking. So uh, thank goodness. Yeah. Maybe your prayer worked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> First of all, a huge thanks to Susan for coming on the show and sharing us her story and sharing her story with us. Thanks also to Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise. Learn more at omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. If you want to check out an organization doing wonderful things for people with type 1 diabetes, you have to look no farther than touchedbytype1.org. I want to take a second to thank you all for listening to the show the way you do, being so supportive and and sharing the show with others. It's a big deal to me, and, and it really, really helps the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode.